I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly program about news in the worlds of business, finance and economics. I'm Andrew Palmer, the business affairs editor. It's been a volatile start to the week, with markets tumbling around the world and banks leading the downward charge. With me to bring some sense and order to the volatility are Philip Coggan, our Buttonwood columnist, and Ryan Avent, our free exchange columnist. Phil, let's start with you. It's been a bad start to the year, bad week. Is this just generalised gloom about the state of the world economy or is there something more specific going on? I think we have moved on in that we had two sources of alarm in the first few weeks. The first was that Emerging markets were continuing to slow. China, people were worried about, and that this would have knock-on effects in the developed world and that the US economy might not be as strong as people hoped. The second source of concern was that the Fed had just started to push up interest rates in December and that that might be making a mistake about that or that they might be continuing to tighten in the rest of the year. And we've now added a third source of concern, which has some ominous 2008 parallels. You could have said that the 1998 crisis was the better parallel based on the first few weeks of the year and that that was a period when Asia suddenly had a bad downturn and the worry was how that would transmit to the rest of the world. 2008 was all about the finance sector, and now we are seeing banking shares fall quite rapidly, particularly in Europe, amid concerns that the banks are exposed to bad debts, that a period of negative interest rates is not good for banking profits, and that the kind of securities that the banks had issued as part of the whole capital raising process, these COCOs, they might uh, not be as secure as people hoped, with particular reference to Deutsche Bank. Ryan, is that how you see it? The financial sector is now suddenly a locus of worry? I mean, I I think Phil's right that things look a bit more like 2008 than they did a month ago. But I think we don't have the kind of dominoes set up in the way that we did then where a financial crisis could bring the economy to its heels. Rather, we have a bunch of banks that, that do have debt issues that they're dealing with that are dealing with all sorts of new regulations that are generally kind of unprofitable. And all of that is driving down share prices. And then people start to look at share prices and say, well, actually, this, you know, we haven't seen uh, valuations of banks this low since things were looking really scary. And that's feeding into the broader gloom. And you know, having said all that, I think there's good reason to worry for a lot of the reasons that Phil mentioned. There's uncertainty about the Chinese economy. There's uncertainty about the effect of things like negative interest rates and low oil prices on all sorts of financial structures. Uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty about what the Fed's reaction is going to be. And I think in a way, the good report that we got on U.S. jobs last week was was a terrible sign because it made it less likely that the Fed was going to reverse course in a short amount of time. And you know what we are seeing is that higher U.S. interest rates, even even just that little bit, that 25 basis points, are really straining people around the world. Deutsche Bank this week has been generating a lot of headlines for very, very sharp falls in its share price and its contingent convertible bonds, these subordinated bonds that get hit when banks get into trouble. CDS spreads are blowing out. So there's no reason to worry about Deutsche, is there? 
Well, if you believe the bond market, there is some need to worry about these particular securities. So they've gone up to yielding double-digit percentage, which is a sign that people are worried they're not going to get paid. That's the only reason bonds yield that much. And the difficulty here is we devise this new form of capital to help plug the gap in bank finances and prevent governments from having to bear all the burden of bailing out banks. And that's all very well when times are good. But when times are iffy, uh, people don't actually want to own this stuff. They don't want to uh, take the hit if the bank gets into trouble. So the run, as it were, is moved from the deposits of a bank to the uh, first line of assets that are going to take a hit. So just as credit default swaps were the sort of canary in the coal mine in 2008, these convertible capital bonds may be the first sign of alarm this time around. But that's healthy in many ways, right? I mean, at least we've got more layers of protection between, you know, between the bank and the taxpayer. So if we're getting earlier signals from COCOs, that's better than equity suddenly. It is healthy as long as people don't interpret that to mean that convertible capital bonds across the sector will all take a hit. Because if that happens, as we saw, as I say, with CDSs in 2008, then you do get the ripple effect. Once investors realise that they might be about to take a hit in one bank, they might extrapolate to assume that they'll take a hit across a range of banks. So you get cross-infection, sort of classic uh, epidemic type situation. Yeah, I think the thing that I I see is really worrying is that any panic can become self-fulfilling. And, uh, you know, if you have people who are generally nervous and then look at bank shares and and start to react in a particular way, whether that's buying more protection on on those banks or just curtailing capital investment plans, those things have a knock-on effect that that can lead to an actual economic slowdown, which then can lead to more financial stress. Uh, And then the, the thing that's really dangerous now is that we don't really have any cushion Uh, on the part of governments and central banks to do anything about that. If sentiment continues to turn more and more negative, uh, you know, governments aren't about to go on a big fiscal stimulus spending spree. Central banks have, for the most part, cut interest rates about as low as they're going to go, could do more QE. But there's not the room to for governments and policymakers to say, look, guys, it's fine. We're going to step in. We're going to we're going to make sure that that everyone's expectations are in the right spot. And that 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 has me feeling nervous. And I think the other interesting thing to note about markets is the move in the 10-year Japanese bond yield into negative territory. That's quite remarkable if you think about it. You're willing to lose money for 10 years to lend to the Japanese government, which has a gross debt of about 240% of GDP. So we now have reached a situation, if Bloomberg is right, that about 30% of all uh, government bonds globally have negative yields. And that is unprecedented and remarkably striking. And it indicates that there's a lot of nervousness among investors in the government bond market. So what you could view is that the equity market is waking up to the signals that were sent first in the commodity markets last year when prices slumped, usually a bad sign for growth, and then in the government bond markets where yields on the safest bonds have plunged as well, another bad sign for global growth. So in a way, people were arguing about equities. Well, you know, the government bond market's not relevant or commodity markets are only you know, a small part of the economy and therefore and they'll actually be positive. But the sort of excuses have been knocked away one by one and we're now coming home to the fact that equity investors are realising other markets might actually know what they're talking about. And just to conclude, one sort of thought on policy and then then for, then for the market. So for on policy, Ryan, I mean, you sort of worry that we just don't have ammunition left. I suppose the Fed could reverse course. You could push negative interest rates further into the into the red. But beyond that, what else 
can we do? Well, just, I mean, quickly on the interest rate thing, I think the one thing that's worrying is that the Fed will be nervous about reversing course, I think, because it doesn't want to send the signal to panic. It will think, well, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. If we cut rates, people will think actually the world is in trouble. And so I think that's going to make them more likely to stay their hands. But the hope here has to be that there is some loosening of purse strings. And you may see some of that in Europe, both because peripheral economies like Italy are pushing on Brussels to give them a little more budget leeway. Also, you have the refugee crisis, which could have the, the kind of knock-on effect that governments become a little more free spending. It's not a bad time for that kind of Keynesian stimulus. And then in the U.S., I think you've also seen the beginnings of reversal in the falling deficit, which could support the economy a little bit. But, you know, are we going to see programs in the hundreds of billions of dollars? No, I, and, I, and which is extraordinary given the fact that, that, you know, markets are basically paying governments to hold their money. You would want to – if there were ever a time to borrow and build anything, you know, electrical grids, high-speed rail, whatever, now is the time. But it's just not going to happen. And in markets, it's a bad time generally, but there are good places in these periods of turmoil to put put your money. So gold, for example, is doing well at the moment. Where are the, where are the havens, Phil? The havens tend to be obviously government bonds themselves, the safest ones, not the weak ones like Greece and uh, the bond-like sectors like utilities in the stock market. But I think a lot of people in the stock market are nervous that the uh, – or optimistic perhaps, depending on whether you're a bull or a bear, that central banks might still come up with something. And if the developed world central banks don't come up with uh, a solution, it might be the Chinese. There's a, uh, a wonder whether the Chinese might launch a their own quantitative easing or, or do something to – safeguard their banking system that would inject confidence uh, into the market and turn this all around. So that's perhaps the best hope for the bulls going forward. Philip, thank you very much. Thanks also to Ryan. That's all for this week. You can read Philip's blog on falling bank shares as well as all the latest news on finance, economics and business on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.